Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This sighting took place while I was on a fishing trip with my girlfriend, another couple, and their mom. My friends were staying at the resort cabins at one of my favorite fall fishing lakes. By the time we arrived, delayed by wiring problems on my boat trailer, it was about 3 a.m. We talked until there was little reason to go to bed, just to have to get right back up to catch the morning bite. About an hour and uh, half before sunrise, my friend Wes and I decided to go for a little walk down to one of the streams that feed out of the lake. I was curious to see what the fish were doing. We both had flashlights, shining them into the stream as we walked along trying to spot fish. The further we went, the more uneasy I became, and I have been in these woods all of my life and never felt like this ever. I asked Wes if he felt kind of weird. He said, kind of. We decided we'd head back. We moved to a different cabin closer to the lake. After the evening fish, I returned at late light, bummed about missing a very large brown trout. I spent most of the evening listening to fish jump and looking at stars. West mom went to bed first, and about 11.45 p.m. the rest of us went to bed. My girlfriend and I were not sleeping in the cabin with Wes and his family. We were sleeping in the back of a full-size Chevy Suburban, mainly because Angela and I wanted a little privacy. Angela and didn't go right to sleep. This was about an hour, and a half after everyone said goodnight at the campfire, I sat up to smoke a cigarette, and I was looking out the rear side window when something caught my eye. Cabins where we were staying are not very large. There was outdoor lighting attached to the middle of the roof line of the cabin. At first I thought it was the wind moving the tree branches or bushes, but something wasn't right. I then began to realize was I was seeing. I thought maybe I was a little more tired than I thought and that my eyes were playing tricks on me. Except the trick didn't go away. Just to make sure, I asked Angela to sit up and look around and tell me what she sees. I totally expected to look stupid and have her tell me she saw nothing. 
I did not tell her what I was seeing or where I was seeing it. I looked down at the floor. Angela sat up, and it wasn't even two seconds before she visually locked onto the same thing I did. Still looking at the floor, I asked, What do you see? Her first word was, Yeti, and with that things now felt real. We both became excited, scared, and curious. I was a bit more uneasy with how the Bigfoot was moving and acting. It was about fifty feet away back in the tree line on the other side of the cabin, about fifteen feet away from Wes Mom's truck. It was standing just out of the light so as not be directly seen. It was about seven, one and a half to eight feet tall, covered in hair, very broad in the shoulder and across the chest. It wasn't as bulky as what is in the Patterson film. What made me very uneasy was its movements and actions. It wasn't coming forward. It had one arm up above its head and to the side, resting on a tree. It was rapidly rocking from side to side and bobbing up and down. Angela made a statement about getting out to maybe get closer to it. I was in the process of telling her, no, when the next surprise was realized. Angela points out that there's more than one. About two feet behind the tailgate of my friend's mom's truck was crouched not one, but two of what appeared to be smaller Bigfoots. They were crouched close together, sitting motionless and looking directly at us. They looked like they were younger ones compared to the big one, still rocking back and forth by the tree. They were not as broad in the shoulders or chest. Angela and I wondered what to do, quietly talking to each other for five or ten minutes. I decided to wake up Wes by yelling toward the window of his bedroom, which was in the middle of the back wall of the cabin. Wes answered back, and I told him to look out his window. First he couldn't see anything through the window. I didn't tell him what to look for, or what I was seeing for fear of him thinking we were pulling a joke or that we were totally out of our minds. As he opened the window I asked him, do you see it? His response was, oh my god, Wes didn't say another word which made me even more uneasy. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I jumped up to the front seat and was going to start up the rig to back them off a little. When I got up front, I couldn't find the keys. I became a bit panicky. I found the keys and started up the Chevy with a big vroom, and it hardly seemed to bother them. I then decided if I was going to see Bigfoot, then by God I'm going to try to get a good look. I was parked in such a way that I had to pull way out and swing the front end around for my lights to hit them directly. As soon as the Chevy moved, they took off back into the trees and bushes. I then headed down the road toward a picnic area, where they might cross the road. On the way, Angela said she had enough, and didn't want to be around the Bigfoot anymore. I turned around, ended up taking a wrong turn, finding, and myself driving cross-country through the cabins and the resort. I was turned around so badly I didn't know where I was. Angela spotted the cabin where we stayed the first night. I then began to drive out to the highway to leave because Angela didn't want to return until daylight. Just before I got to the highway, I remembered my friends at the cabin and the fact that they had their newborn baby with them. Angela agreed. We couldn't leave them there, so we returned. It was said that as we were driving off, something ran across the road behind us on two legs. Angela and I decided to leave the Chevy parked halfway blocking the road and go inside the cabin. After we got inside, I asked Wes if he'd seen what we saw, because I still could not take in the fact that this really happened. Wes told me he definitely saw what he believes to be a Bigfoot. He explained that he became salient because of the two smaller ones at the back of his mom's truck. After twenty minutes had gone by, I needed a smoke real bad, and Wes' mom wanted something to drink. Both were in my rig. Wes was the first to step outside. On the way back to the cabin, we heard a bunch of commotion down toward the lake. 
like something running through bushes, snapping and breaking limbs. We ran to the front door of the cabin. Just as we started up the steps, I fell onto the porch, scaring Wes to death. Once inside, we talked and tried to rationalize everything that had happened. Things were quiet outside from then on, other than the fact that a raccoon thumped on our door, which startled us. What was strange was that the raccoon seemed to want to come into the cabin. The raccoon did not touch any of the food outside the cabin. I love camping. I try to go every summer. My family has a little cabin on Moxie Pond, right on the water. It's a couple hundred miles headed northwest, and then about ten miles down the old logging roads to get to our spot. I love it. It's trees and water and no neighbors to be seen. It's quiet unless the dickhead across the pond is running his generator all damn day. There's no power. It's gas lights and stove. No plumbing. No running water other than what you pump from the lake using the old-fashioned hand pump over the sink. You do your business in the outhouse and throw some cedar shavings on it as a courtesy to the next person. My girlfriend had been together for about two years. She's more from the city, but she was excited to come with when I said I wanted to go up to camp this year. We couldn't go last year, so we packed our clothes and food and whatnot into my truck and started up. It's about a four-hour drive, about an hour and a half on the highway until you get to show Hagen. Ska Vegas, it's occasionally called. And then it's another couple hours driving through tiny towns that are trapped in yesteryear and falling apart. The further you get from the paper mill, the worse it looks. But the better it smells, driving by the paper mill smells like a wet skunk fart. You'll eventually get up into the mountains. The views are amazing. Sometimes some masshole will give you plenty of time to admire them as you're trapped behind their bumper as they creep along. You eventually get to the forks. The forks contains Barry's general store, whitewater rafting companies, and not much else. We got up there closer to the end of twilight, so there was nothing going on. No people out. You take right, drive to the dam at the end of the lake, take a left, and you're on the logging roads. You have to go kind of slow on the logging roads. I almost kissed a young moose one year when it jumped out right beside my truck. Its nose almost coming through my open window. You're surrounded by nothing but trees. The forest is so thick you can't really see past the first trees. Especially at night. I've had some weird things happen up here over the years. I've heard a blood-curdling scream in the middle of the night that sounded like a girl getting murdered. The next day, I found a half-eaten rabbit floating in the lake. That put my mind at ease. A rabbit can scream, and it'll sound just like a little girl. I've heard singing in the woods, away from the direction of any other camps. It was a beautiful, mournful song. And I didn't understand the language. That's a different story, though. I digress. We're driving down the logging roads, and I'm quietly laughing to myself as my girlfriend clutches my arm tightly, her eyes wide. She occasionally punches my leg when I don't stifle myself well enough. I don't blame her for being scared. She's never been in woods like this before. But I warned her, and it was her fault we got such a late start anyway. So we have to drive in at night. Once you get closer to the lake, the trails get smaller and more overgrown. Birch trees, bent over from years of snow and wind, scrape their branches over the top of the truck, occasionally blocking my vision. There's always maintenance to be done. I'm used to my eyes playing tricks on me. 
so I didn't think anything of seeing the shadows moving around us. I just wrote it off as being a trick of the light as the front of my truck bounced on the wretched road. My girlfriend would occasionally gasp and whimper and say, what the F is that, as the shadows played around us. Finally, I just had her put her head in my lap and I played with her hair as I drove, constantly telling myself that the figures and shapes I see are just trees and shadow. This isn't my first time doing this. I get a little turned around in the dark, but we get to camp, okay? I let her put her head back up and I take her in my arms and comfort her before we get out, telling her that nothing weird has ever happened up here. It's a lie, but I only have to get her out of the truck and into the camp. I grab my flashlight and get out and walk over to her door. I open it for her, grab her bag, and walk her into the camp. I get the gas going and turn the lights on, sit her down in the comfy chair, hand her her book, and go to get the rest of the stuff out of the truck. We're moved in, and I make us dinner while she reads. Safe inside, she's calmer now. But she did have me close the blinds to the double slider at the front of the camp. I was going to anyway. During the day, it's a wonderful view of the lake, but at night, the fear is always at the back of my mind that I'm going to look out them and see something standing on the porch, looking in. We eat, we enjoy the privacy and each other, and we go to bed. We stay in the camp for a couple days. There's nothing that needs doing. We read, we swim, we F, we take the kayaks out and visit the islands. I tried to get her to just be naked while we're alone up here, but no luck. I brought a tent because I'd like to spend a night right out in the woods, but it's hard to convince her at first. But after a couple nights spent drinking by the fire without anything weird happening, she's more inclined to try it, as long as I bring my shotgun. Which I was going to do anyway. I've never had an encounter with a bear or wolves up here, and we didn't hear any howling, but I'm not staying in the woods unarmed. It's the third or fourth night when we go out. We don't go far because I know better than to just wander off into the woods. We stay inside of the big tree beside camp. We can't see the camp, we can't hear the water, but we find a nice flat spot in a small clearing. And I put the tent up. You can probably imagine how we then spent the rest of the day. We had hot dogs and s'mores over the fire that night, and then I put the fire out and we staggered to bed. She fell asleep quickly. I didn't sleep so well. I feel like I was in and out all night, more caught in the in-between world than actually asleep. I felt her get up and saw the muted light from her hand covering the flashlight, but I couldn't react or say anything. I'm not sure I didn't dream it. She went out, and after a minute she came back in with the light off. She lay down and was out again. I still couldn't move. So again, I'm not sure I didn't dream her going out. My dreams are generally this not exciting. But I know I woke up when I heard her voice from outside the tent, her face on the other side of the fabric. A desperate and terrified whisper. You need to get out of there. That's not me. Get out. We need to get back inside the camp. My blood ran cold and my eyes opened. At least I think they were open. I couldn't see a thing. I sat up and went to reach for my shotgun, just in case. But I felt her hands wrap around me and gently pull me back down. She whispered, Where are you going? And I just froze. I let her pull me back down as my mind raced. My thoughts were like a broken mirror tumbling around in a dryer, smashing into each other and splintering even more. I said nothing. I just laid down and listened. My girlfriend still had her hands lightly across my chest, and she seemed to have fallen asleep again. I laid there in the dark, straining to hear anything other than her breathing. There was nothing. I had to chalk it up to dreaming. But 
I also had to look before I could go to sleep. I started to get up again, but again she pulled me down and got on top of me, aggressively kissing me. She didn't go to bed naked. She always wears pajamas. She wore some light blue pajama pants and one of my shirts to bed. But they're gone now, though. I wear nothing to bed, so it was easy for her to get what she was after. It's exceedingly rare for her to initiate. That's almost always been my job. She's always an eager participant, but I think this was maybe the third time in two years that she initiated herself. And she put herself on top, and she was aggressive. I'm not complaining about not having to do the work or the enthusiasm, but all three together is like finding a unicorn. A unicorn. As she did her thing, I eventually put what happened out of my mind and finally got my head in the game, thanking the alcohol. After we finished, she immediately got up and went outside. I figured she just had to pee, but she didn't bring a light. She never just gets up right after. We always just lay there for a while. She left the flap open. I'm sure because she was coming right back. I noticed I couldn't hear anything at all. Not that I was trying to hear her piss. I just figured that she wouldn't be concerned about it and go too far from the tent in the dark. After a couple minutes, I heard her footsteps returning. She came through the flap and was already on her way to laying down before her feet were inside. I followed the sound and caught her in my arms. She was dressed again. I was going to ask her why she left her clothes outside, but she was asleep by the time her head hit my chest. I kissed her forehead and rolled her off of me so I could zip up the tent flap. Then I laid down, absolutely exhausted, and at some point I fell asleep while listening to the absolutely nothing going on in the woods around us. I thought it strange, but I just figured it was because we were out here. The next morning I made pancakes and bacon over the fire for us. I mentioned the happenings last night, and she just looked at me quizzically. She couldn't remember any of it. She only remembered waking up to pee, taking the light, and then just going back to the tent and crashing again. She's not superstitious, so... She just blamed the alcohol and was happy that she made me happy. That was that. After breakfast, I started to break down the camp. I packed up some things for her to take back, pointed out the tree by camp, and sent her on her way. I watched her walk away for a minute because I just enjoy watching my girlfriend walking away. She disappeared into the woods and I set about breaking the tent down. And getting it packed up, it went slower than I would have liked. You have to get everything just right if it's going to fit in, its respective bags again. After struggling for a bit and scratching my head, I became aware that I wasn't alone. I turned around and there was my girlfriend, just looking at me. In broad daylight, she was naked again. My eyes lit up and she giggled at my face, then crossed the distance to me without a word. She used the rolled up tent to kneel on for about 20 minutes, then just got up and walked off in the direction of camp. I'll admit I was starting to have a hard time keeping up with her. Not that I was complaining, but I was feeling exhausted after every time. I finally got everything put away and went back to camp. I sat down and read for a little while before finally succumbing to a nap sitting in the comfy chair in the sunlight, facing out the sliders. I woke up to my girlfriend getting touchy after me again. When we were done, I immediately passed out. I woke up sometime in the mid-afternoon to wind and rain. I'm not sure when. Mm. We don't have a clock at camp.
My girlfriend had moved to the couch reading. She was in just her underwear. I didn't know what prompted this change in dress code and appetite. I thought it was weird, but I was also happy about it. I started picking things up as we were leaving the next morning. I went in the bedroom to gather any clothes. Her blue pajama pants and my shirt weren't anywhere to be seen. I asked about them and she said they were already packed. I went outside to take a leak. The winds were getting stronger now and occasional fat raindrops would slap against my body. I could just barely hear my girlfriend calling my name so I shook it off and went back inside to find out what she wanted. She was still sitting on the couch reading. I asked if she was calling for me. She just looked up and shook her head. I reminded myself that sometimes my imagination gets the better of me and just put it out of my mind. That night, she didn't let me go right to sleep, but I crashed hard after. I woke up with a mild headache. Early in the morning, I had to pee again. I turned on my flashlight and covered it, leaving just a sliver of light. My girlfriend sat up and looked at me, so I turned the light towards her. Her eyes looked white and cloudy. I uncovered the light, and she blinked from the brightness, and her eyes were back to normal. She cursed me for blasting her in the face with the light, and I apologized. I told her what I was doing, and to just go back to sleep. She told me to hurry back. The storm had passed. I walked outside to the tree line. I shined the light through the trees while I relieved myself just in case. The beam fell upon a patch of upset earth, all scratched and dug up. It wasn't far into the woods, so I walked over to it. Something had obviously gotten eaten. There was blood everywhere. I couldn't really make out any tracks. It just looked like there was a lot of thrashing and kicking involved, but it was weird that there wasn't a carcass, and it was weird it had happened so close to camp. If the body had been dragged off into the woods, I wasn't going to go looking for it. The next morning, we got ready to go and headed out. We talked about the weekend, but she seemed to have a spotty memory of it. I didn't think she had that much to drink. She kept herself entertained with me for most of the ride home. She'd never done that before, even when I asked for it. I was finally starting to think with the head attached to my shoulders. Her personality was different, at least when it came to sex. But aside from that, she still acted like she always had. I wasn't sure what to think. All she would say when I'd ask why she wasn't nearly as inhibited anymore was I got over it, delivered with a shrug and a smile. It's been a few months now, and her appetite is still high. I'm having a harder and harder time keeping up with her. I'm just getting tired more often. I've noticed I'm getting white hairs, and I just feel older. I'd talk to my doctor about it, but I can't afford that. I try to tell her I'm tired, but she always brings it out of me, and then I crash immediately after. And she always seems to have more and more energy. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I couldn't even write this in peace. Does anyone have any idea what's going on? I never thought my job... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I was a park ranger would lead me into the realm of dreams and alternate realities. 
It all started when the campers began sharing strange and vivid dreams during their stay in the deep woods. At first, I brushed it off as mere coincidence. But as reports kept pouring in, I knew there was something more to this mystery. Intrigued, I decided to investigate the phenomenon myself. Late one night, while the moon hung low in the sky, I wandered deeper into the forest, guided only by the whispers of the trees. The air was thick with an otherworldly energy, and my heart pounded in my chest as I ventured farther away from familiar trails. As I ventured deeper, the trees seemed to part, revealing a faint, shimmering light ahead. My instincts told me to turn back, but curiosity drove me forward. The light grew brighter until it formed a glowing portal hovering between the ancient trees like a mirage. Hesitant but determined, I stepped closer, and a soft breeze carried distant echoes of laughter and music. My hand trembled as I reached out to touch the portal surface, and suddenly the world around me shifted. I found myself standing in a realm of surreal beauty, unlike anything I had ever seen. The forest in this world was alive with an ethereal glow, and peculiar creatures darted between the trees. I could feel the dreams of the campers intertwining with this place, creating a delicate balance between reality and the dream world. As I explored, I realized that the portal was a gateway for beings from both realms to interact. Dreams of the campers served as a bridge connecting the two worlds in a symbiotic relationship. But something was amiss. An ominous presence lingered, threatening to disrupt this balance and unleash chaos. I knew I had to prevent the catastrophe that loomed. The guardian of this realm, a wise and ancient being, appeared before me. It spoke in riddles, revealing that an external force was attempting to exploit the portal's power for malicious purposes. Armed with newfound knowledge, I returned to my world with a determination to protect both realms. But time was of the essence. The malevolent force sought to corrupt the dreams of the campers, feeding off their fears and emotions to gain power. Back in the deep woods, I rallied my fellow park rangers, sharing my discoveries and forming a plan to safeguard the portal. Together, we built a protective barrier around the portal's entrance, using the energy of the forest to reinforce its strength. As the final night fell upon the campers, the malevolent force made its move. It unleashed a torrent of nightmares, attempting to break through the barrier. But our collective efforts proved successful. The barrier held, and the dreams of the campers remained pure and untainted. In the midst of the battle, I found myself once again drawn into the dream realm. This time I confronted the malevolent force directly, channeling the love and harmony of the forest to weaken its power. With a final surge of strength, I banished the malevolence from both realms, restoring peace. As the sun rose and the forest came to life, I felt a profound sense of accomplishment. The campers awoke, blissfully unaware of the peril they had narrowly avoided. The dreams ceased to be shared, returning to the realm of the individual, and the portal remained safely hidden from those who sought to exploit it. Life as a park ranger resumed its usual rhythm, but my experiences in the deep woods had changed me forever. The bond between the forest dreams and alternate realms became a part of who I am, a reminder that there is much more to the world than meets the eye. And so I continue my watch over the woods, knowing that the mysteries of nature are endless 
and the line between reality and dreams can sometimes blur in the most unexpected ways. I live in the Yukon and by my house is a wilderness trail. Great trails leads to a bunch of lakes. I take my dog on the trails every day. Usually I have to walk him for at least two hours because he's part husky and has energy for days. Getting him to turn around any earlier than an hour is a nightmare. One day we're headed to the trails. Doesn't seem like anyone else is around. Seems quieter than usual. We're maybe ten minutes into our walk and we're on a trail that is completely surrounded by trees. My ears popped for some reason and it seems like the whole world's audio is turned off. Something also feels off. I look down at my dog who normally barks his ass off at all and any wild animal is crouched down. Hackles up, completely silent, and just looks up at me with distinctly fear-filled eyes. We turn around and he is pulling me back towards the house. He runs into my room and hides under the bed. He will not come out. He's under there for a few hours. When he did come out, he just sat staring out the window with his hackles up. He refused to go outside all night. Eventually he got over it and relaxed, but even years later he won't go down that one path. Lake Story in Galesburg is a popular spot for our nighttime walks, and aside from the occasional pesky raccoon, we've never experienced any issues. However, on the night of July 2, 2020, as we reached a particularly dark section of the trail deep in the woods, we heard a loud noise like something large was about to fall on us. I quickly pulled my friend out of the way, and as I looked back I saw an object almost hit the ground but then seemingly disappear. I dismissed it as shadows playing tricks on me and my friend, who doesn't believe in anything paranormal, UFO or spiritual, found it strange as well. A few days later we walked the same path and experienced a similar occurrence. We heard a violent rustling in the trees, but once again, we brushed it off, despite feeling unnerved. On our next walk, we arrived at the exact spot on the trail, and this time we saw a four-foot-tall figure standing about thirty feet away. Initially, I thought it might be a deer, but my friend saw it too. I quickly grabbed her flashlight to shine a light on the figure, but there was no deer in sight. Instead, the mysterious figure dashed through the woods at an incredible speed. I don't know who to contact about these encounters, as the police might consider me crazy, and I don't want to put my family at risk. Unless there's a drug, naked, small person in the woods throwing things and stalking us, I'm at a loss for an explanation. These unnerving encounters have happened three times in the same location, deep within the woods at Lake Story, near the far end of the trail. I realize that whoever reads this might think I'm a nut. But I assure you, this is our experience. This story was told to me by my uncle and swears it really happened. He was the only one in the family this happened to, so no one else could back his story. I don't know if I believe this myself. In 1979, there was a 12-year-long civil war in El Salvador. My uncle was in the military. He was sent to the woods or jungle with like six other guys to go look for military groups that we supposedly camping out there. After walking in the woods or jungle for hours, they suddenly felt the ground shake as if something big was coming towards them. He described it like in Jurassic Park. Then the T-Rex was coming towards them and the water rippled. He said they thought it was the enemy doing something so they hid. He said that he was shocked when he saw a, a giant 
He said it was walking in the distance. I asked him if it was just maybe a really, really big person like Bigfoot, and he said no. It was more of a jack-in-the-beanstalk kind of giant. He said there were trees blocking the view somewhat, but that he could make out that it was like a really big human. He said it was as tall at the tallest tree there. He said he tried to get a good look at it, but he was terrified and didn't want to get out of his hiding when he realized what it was. He said Giant basically just walked past them. He said they were all terrified and, and waited there for a while as they were scared to bump into another one. He said two of the guys suggested trying to kill it to get rich, but the guy in charge told them to stand down. My uncle said everyone thought they were idiots for suggesting such a thing. He said they walked back to base as quickly and quietly as possible. They told everyone when they got back no one believed them. They were friends with the pilots. And the pilots called bullshit on their story because they fly over the jungle all the time and would have seen such a creature, especially if it was as tall as the trees as they claimed. He said all of the guys described what they saw. One guy claimed that it had appeared bald. Another guy said he thinks it had some sort of loincloth like Tarzan. My uncle emphasized that he didn't get a good look, and that all he knows is that the ground was shaking as if some really big creature was coming towards them. He saw what appeared as a giant human walking in the distance. He got down and hid and waited till it was gone. I began to ask him things like if it was real, don't you think they would have found a body or some bones of something that big? Especially since El Salvador is so tiny in relation to other parts of the world. He responded along the lines of, I don't know about none of that stuff. I just know what I saw that day. I don't know how I feel about this one personally. This one seems a little out there. My mom said maybe it was some sort of spirit that just made itself appear as a giant to scare them. During the Civil War times, my mom claims there was a lot more paranormal things going on because of all the deaths that were happening. A lot of innocent people were being killed. My grandma would say if you looked out the window of the house, you would see dead bodies on the street. That wouldn't explain the ground shaking, though. Has anyone ever encountered a story of a jack-in-the-beanstalk kind of giant? This one scared me as a kid because it's so unbelievable that he did actually see that. That's crazy. I'll never forget the night of September 9, 2015. It was around 11.40 p.m., and I was driving up Route 43 towards the peaks of Otter. I was just passing Turkey Mountain Road when something strange caught my eye. My headlights hit a figure that seemed out of place. It wasn't until I got closer that I realized what it was. I knew what I saw was going to sound crazy, but I had to call Bedford County Dispatch. I told them that I saw a Bigfoot with a baby. The dispatcher was understandably confused and asked me to repeat myself. I insisted that I wasn't drinking and that I saw what I saw. Two days had passed since the sighting, and I felt like I had to share what I witnessed. When I went back in daylight, I saw footprints that were larger than anything I could make. The creature's stride was longer than anything I had ever seen. The footprints were bigger than my two feet put together, end to end, and I wear a size 8 shoe. The creature was holding its baby just like a human would, and the baby was looking right at me. I later described the baby as looking just like Chewbacca from Star Wars. The dispatcher asked me if they had received any other calls like mine before, but he had never heard anything like it. A deputy checked out the area and didn't find anything. I know they were not bears. I can't explain what I saw, but I know what I saw.
The memory of that night will stay with me forever. As a native Michigander, I remember back in the 90s, my stepbrother James, my cousin Lalo, and three other friends of mine and I were up at Houghton Lake during the summer for some fishing, swimming, drinking, and smoking weed, things that guys do in their 20s. It was fun and great memories, and none of us have ever heard, let alone know about dogmen. Anyways, it was an uneventful day besides the typical fun we all had. Now, as the day was ending and sun was going down, not quite sunset, but close, we all packed into James Ford's 10 pickup after we finished cleaning up and packing our bopped and fishing equipment. Lalo had another joint left at the time real good red hair sensei. James was like, there's a dirt road that goes around the lake. Do you guys want to drive down it and see where it goes? We all said yes, and we drove out to explore this newly found road. So as we're driving down this dirt road, the foliage was like prehistoric times, with huge ferns as shrubbery. The sun was beginning to set, and the tree canopy was making its surrounding area darker than it is. So James pulls over on the side of the road, turns off the engine, gets out, and starts walking into the woods. Someone asked what he was doing, and James replied, I'm going to explore the area. So we all get out and follow behind him. There's no trail, so James, who's leading, is making a trail. Well, there's an incline, and we're all walking up, and it's getting darker every second. Suddenly, James stops, and my cousin, who's behind James, asks why he stopped. James, from what I was told, later said, Do you hear that? Looking intently into the growing darkness of the woods. Lalo says, Yeah, what is it? I don't know, answered James. Now we all stopped wondering. What was going on? Now we didn't go too far into the thick woods, maybe 50 yards up the slope. Suddenly I hear, oh shit, and see James running past me and I hear my cousin saying the same thing seconds later and running back down to the truck. I'm last in the liberty confused since information is barely reaching me, but my cousin and stepbrother are running for their lives. Remember it now getting pitch dark and as everyone else except me has turned around making their way back to James's pickup, I start hearing branches or sticks breaking. By now, I'm the only one who hadn't turned around yet, and it's only been seconds. So I hear sticks, maybe branches breaking, and something is making its way towards me, and it's picking up speed. I then around now filled with fear and run as fast as I can down the slope. I tripped on an exposed tree root and sprained my ankle, but I don't stop and continued my way to the pickup. This thing was close behind me. Now I'm about five, maybe ten feet away from James's pickup, and all the guys were in it yelling at me to hurry up. I dive onto the bed of James's truck. James steps on the gas and peels out as fast as that V6 can take that tiny S10. All I can hear is, did you see that? What the hell was it? James is saying, yeah, and I don't know. I and Brian were asked, what did they see? James couldn't answer because he wasn't sure, neither could my cousin. They both just said they can't believe it. Now I never saw anything, nor did my two other friends who were behind my cousin. Just James and Lalo saw it, and they never elaborated on what they saw. Maybe they couldn't believe their eyes. I was maybe 25 years old at the time, and today I'm 52. I only knew of Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and UFOs. 
It was only five years ago did I first hear about the dogman. I know there is another dogman encounter surrounding the Houghton Lake area. Did they see a dogman? I don't know. But this is my experience and belief that they did. I don't talk to my stepbrother or my cousin Lalo and haven't in fifteen years. Still, I can't help but think about what exactly did they both see. When I was in middle school, I coon hunted a lot. Mostly with my dad, but I knew the hills and the hollers enough around our home in West Virginia that he would let me take friends. I could go anywhere I wanted, or the dogs let us. But I was told to shy away from this one old home place up in the hills. See before the government owned it. My great-great-grandmother's people owned it. She lived to the age of 107 and died when I was 15. She would always tell us that the dogs head to the old Rooney place. Come home, the dogs will come out on the other side of the creek. Or backtrack you all back out. No use. Yeah, go fooling around that place. Well, one night me and my friend Nubs... He's got nine and a half fingers due to a log splitter accident when he was ten. Decided that we were going to hunt that hollow exclusively. Had to be a prize gray to coon up there. Nobody hunts it. We took off up the creek road on foot with three of the best dogs I've ever had. Jake, big, broad blue tick with a cold nose. Slim Jim, hot-nosed red tick. And Trapper John, mean, bedeviled, extremely talented hound. Now you know when you get to the Rooney place because it's this big flat at the end of the creek road with big half-dead field trees and piles of field stones about every thirty feet at random for about half a mile that gradually turns up into a draw that peters out on the face of the mountain. This is before. CPS collars or any of that stuff. I used my dad's old carbide lamp to walk by, and Nubs would use his dad's old wheat miner's light to spot way up in the tree. We would let the dogs run till we heard them bellowing our those long ball barks to signify a treed, and walk to the dogs and dispatch the coon. About five hundred yards ahead, with a short chase, the dogs barked treed. We started walking towards them up in the mouth of the cove, then the dogs took off again. This is not unheard of a coon can jump tree, come down another, and sneak off, and a circling dog picks up the fresh track, and off they go again. This happened six more times in the next two hours. That was definitely weird. And then everything went silent. That's when I started shaking. I knew my dogs. I've watched two of them fight bear. Nothing scared them. All the dogs came back to us with tail tucked, head low, quiet as hell. We were working on an exit plan when, you know, when you shake a tree limb that it's rained on all night and all the raindrops fall off all at once and hit the ground. That happened about 20 yards behind me. Only this was a big rock oak, about 75 feet to the first limb. While we were trying to see what was in that tree, damned if the same thing didn't happen to the tree we were standing under. When Trapper John pissed himself at my feet, I knew we had to get the hell out of that hollow. We backed out of there and ran home as fast as we could. Never hunted near the Rooney place again. I can't say for sure what was in that tree, but to me it looked like a man running through the treetops. It was years before I ever ventured in that place in the daylight. Did a little digging at the courthouse when I was in college. Come to find out it was a logging town when the Spanish flu came through. Had a mill and everything. The flu killed so many people in that town that there wasn't enough living to bury the dead. My hometown's people went up and buried the dead. 
If you take a black crayon and a piece of paper and scroll it on the biggest rock of the pile, its names of the dead buried there. My great-great-grandmother's dad bought it for four fifty off the lumber mill, burned the last of the structures, and farmed it for the rest of his life. When he died, my great-great-grandmother and her brothers sold it to the government. It's part of the Monongahela National Forest now. This was two decades ago. They used to do donkey tours in the Grand Canyon. You ride the donkey and then hike. You can camp, but we did the day tour. A woman that was probably in her late 60s, early 70s was in front of me and on an incline started to act strange. She was swaying left and right as on a steep cliff, which was very safe and wide. It swayed back and forth for maybe a minute and she was slumped over and then boom. It looked like she passed out and pulled the donkey to the left and fell over the cliff. I saw her tumble over and then they were just gone. I can't remember how far down the fall was, but it had to be over 100 feet. Immediately the guide jumped off at the front, ran over and let out an audible scream before stopping after realizing she had a tour with her. A few people got off their donkey and she stopped them from peering over. A few of the other guys looked over and they made some radio calls and then we proceeded. It was very obvious that something really serious had happened, but we never found out. I'm pretty sure I watched a woman and a donkey fall to their death in the Grand Canyon.